Thanks for joining us for this message from Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Shades Valley and its ministries, you can visit us at shadesvalley.org. Today's scripture is Colossians 3, 1 through 4. I'll give you a second to turn in your Bibles to that. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you, who, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, let me pray for us real quick. Jesus, please uh, let your words uh, come through uh, in what I say this morning. And if anything is not of you, let it just fall on deaf ears. Amen. Uh, well, I'm Grant Primo. I'm an elder here at Shades. And sometimes when uh, Jonathan or Brad can't speak, they'll ask uh, the elders to fill in. So this past week, Jonathan was on his study week. It's a week where he goes away to kind of prepare for what God has for Shades for the next year. He spends a whole week praying and studying the word. Um, and apparently, when you spend a whole week praying and studying the Bible, you can't preach after that. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, that seems a bit off to me. Uh, I thought that's what you were supposed to do. Uh, but look, I'm, I'm just an amateur. You got to trust the experts. Uh, and since Jonathan thinks you can't preach after spending a week praying and studying the word, I did absolutely zero prayer or studying the Bible in preparation <laughs> for this morning. I was going to make a joke there about uh, that's the same amount of prayer and study as uh, a certain uh, celebrity Christian pastor, but I'm not going to. That's what you call discernment. <laughs> but don't worry, it's not the one you like. You'll just have to guess. All right. Uh, seriously, though, um, the Holy Spirit has laid something on, on my heart. He's been speaking to me about something over the last couple weeks. And when Jonathan asked, if I could speak this morning, it was the first thing that, that came to my mind. Um, and the thing that he laid on my heart and has been speaking to me about is rooting my identity in Christ. I'm not basing uh, my identity in the things that the world says we should place our identity in. You know, things like our career, um, our accomplishments, uh, you know, social standing, looks, even actions but instead finding uh, our worth and value and identity in Christ. Um, and the reason uh, having my identity rooted in Christ has been on my mind is because there have been uh, a lot of events over the last couple months that have forced me to kind of question my identity um, and deal with some of the feelings that come from all of that. And let me start by saying I'm, I'm not an introspective person. I'm not good at it. It's not something I particularly like. And my wife would probably say that's a gross understatement. Um, but that's not fair coming from her. She's really good at introspection. 
Um, she's good at thinking deeply about the way she's feeling, uh, about assessing those factors that are leading to those feelings and contemplating you know, what that means. And meanwhile, I'm at my grandpa's funeral thinking, you know, I think I'm really sad, but I'm also kind of hungry. So I don't know, forget it. I'll just move on because I'm just not good at introspection. But over the past few months, there have been several events that have kind of forced me to reckon with my feelings and engage in some introspection. I don't think this is a legit midlife crisis. It's like a step lower than that, maybe a midlife predicament or something, somewhere less than crisis. But, and this is what's hard about speaking at at Shades is we have too many counselors here. And so I know somebody is going to be turning to their neighbor and be like, oh, classic adjustment disorder. So just all you counselors, save your diagnosis. I'll pay you for it later. Um, but the events that kicked off this midlife predicament uh, were my dog dying and my house getting hit by a tornado, which I know sounds like a bad country music song, but it's true. Um, so with my dog, uh, we'd had this dog for 15 years. It was the dog that Brooke and I got when we were kind of young and married. You know, the dog that like you're, you want to have a baby, but you're not ready to. So you get a dog and pretend like it's your baby. And half of y'all did the same thing. So I know it's, you know what I'm talking about. But this dog was with us through, you know, all of the major events of my young adult life. And so it passing wasn't just the loss of a pet. It came to symbolize for me like the loss of that phase of my life. You know, he was with us when I graduated from law school, when we moved to, you know, out of our hometown, when we had our real kids and the dog went outside. Um, Our kids went to school and took first steps and all that kind of stuff. And as I reflected on, you know, the life of this dog when he, when he passed, it was really all those events that I thought about. And this wave of realization came over me that, like, that phase of my life is over. It's as dead as my dead dog, you know? Like, all that stuff is gone, and I can't think of myself in that way anymore. And as I'm dealing with, okay, well, what does that mean about me? Uh, we had some damage to our house in the tornadoes that came through in early December, if you remember that. Um, And one of the things that happened at our house is that we had two uh, Bradford pear trees, just awful trees in our front yard. Part of the curse, I'm sure, thorns, thistles, and Bradford pears. But these trees got knocked out, and we had wanted those trees to be taken out for years. I had said, yeah, I'm going to get these trees removed for years. And when this tornado finally took them out for us, it made me realize like, okay, I've been in this house for 10 years and I didn't do this thing I wanted to do from day one. Like where'd the last 10 years go? And just reminded me of all of my failures to do the things I said I was going to do. And around that same time, I had some uh, conflict with my family. I, I fell into some bad patterns letting my defensiveness, my own insecurities cause me to lash out and treat the people I care about the most poorly. And it was like, why am I still struggling with these things? You know, it's 
it's been too long. Why am I still doing some of these same dumb things? And then 2024 comes, and uh, this is the year that I turn 40. And so that forced me to introspect all over myself. Uh, it kind of snuck up on me. Like I knew theoretically it was possible that we would get to this year where I turned 40, but I didn't really believe it would actually happen. But again, I was having to realize that I can't think of myself in the same ways as I did when I was in my early 20s or in late 20s and early 30s. I'm just, I'm not in that phase of life anymore. I can't make the same excuses for myself that I made for myself then. Um, but at the same time, I'm not the person I thought I'd be at 40, or almost 40. I, uh, I haven't accomplished a lot of the things I thought I would have at this point. Um, I'm not as good of a person as I hoped I'd be by now, because I still do a lot of those same dumb things that I did before. Uh, I have regrets and shame and fear that I've failed in ways that I can't fix, and it's too late now. And the result of all this is I felt like I was in a pit, like I was stuck. Um, you know, I had this background noise of just existential dread. Uh, and for weeks, I, I felt this way, um, you know, bombarded by my failures, my regret, my shame. I can't see where I'm going. Uh, kind of felt lost and, and purpose, purposeless. Um, and for weeks, I, I was honestly kind of miserable a lot of the time. Because in a way, I had lost my sense of self. All these illusions about uh, the way I thought I was kind of came crashing down at once. And all the ways that I did feel about myself at that point were pretty bad. And I remember I was driving down in South Alabama. I had to go to a hearing for, for work. Uh, and as I'm driving alone in the car, uh, I'm, I was praying. And I was just like, God, I, I feel terrible. I feel unsettled about myself. Uh, and I, I don't know how to get out of this. And then as I'm driving on Interstate 65, a sheet came down from heaven and there were animals of every kind. No. Uh, I continued to feel bad, uh, but I turned on some music and a song uh, by John Guerra came on and it has this line in it that struck me differently than it ever had before. The, the song is a prayer and the, um, the singer sings this line that says, uh, what am I? And his answer to himself in the song is, I am yours, thank you God. And I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me in that moment that that's the truest thing about you. You are mine. Anchor yourself back to that. And so slowly and, and gently, the Holy Spirit has been lifting me out of that, that pit. Um, and by focusing my attention back on Christ, reminding, my, reminding me of, of who I am in him, but I found it's not a thing that I can just kind of say in the morning, like, oh, I'm a child of God, I'm good to go. Um, but it's something that I have to meditate on, something that I have to be purposeful about and, and think about as I go through my day. And so that's what I want to do this morning is meditate on some of those truths about who we are in Christ. Um, 
really for my benefit, but you're along for the ride. Uh, but first, before we really get into that, you know, why does it matter? Why should we root our identity in Christ, and how is that helpful? I know this is something that really goes against the conventional wisdom of the world. You know, the world says only you can define who you are, and you have to be the authentic you. And to be the authentic you, you can't let anyone impose an identity onto you. Uh, but to be given an identity that doesn't depend on you to create it or to maintain it, that is a blessing. And take it from someone in the middle of a midlife predicament, and that's true. Uh, but I want to look at uh, Colossians 3 this morning and look at how I think the Bible speaks to uh, how we are to root our identity in Christ. And I, I just want to look at three quick things from this passage and what it says about why we should root our identity in Christ. And sorry, Jonathan, I know he's not here, but sorry, these don't rhyme and they don't start with the same letter. But I also prayed and read the Bible before this morning, so I guess I've just totally screwed up. So. All right, so let's look at uh, uh, Colossians 3, uh, verses uh, 1 through 3. And so I think the first thing, the first reason why I think we should root our identity in Christ and get ready, everyone who takes notes, get your pencils out. This is going to blow your mind. We should root our identity in Christ because the Bible says so. Tim Keller wishes he could come up with something that good, right? Um, now, I don't know. I still believe that the Bible is good and worthy of being trusted and relevant and instructive. And uh, here, I think Paul gives us the instruction to root our identity in Christ. So let's look at this. Uh, verse 3, starting, uh, or chapter 3, starting at verse 1, says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. All right, so especially verse 2, you've probably heard before a lot of times, you know, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. Um. And even though we hear that verse, I think, a lot in a vague or, or general way, I, I don't think that Paul is being vague or general when, when he's saying this here. Um, he's saying this to set our mind on things above in the context of how we think about ourselves. You know, I think he's saying set your mind on things above specifically as it relates to how you think about yourself. Uh, look at verse 3. You know, after saying, set your mind on things above, he goes directly to talking about who we are. You know, set your mind on things above, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then in verse 4, he says, Christ is your life, your identity. The whole rest of this section uh, of Colossians is talking about the old self versus the new self. In other words, your identity the old self being earthly and the new self being heavenly. And so I think Paul is saying here, don't set your mind on the earthly things that you could use to define yourself, but think about the heavenly realities of who you are. You're hidden with Christ and God. Christ is your life. 
that's how we are to consider ourselves. In these verses, I think Paul says that as a Christian, the heavenly identity, the new self, is the truest thing about you, even though that truth isn't fully realized yet. Um, I I know we talk about a lot here uh, the the already, not yet kind of dynamic of of a lot of verses and scriptures, and I think this uh, perfectly encapsulates that. You know, it says, you already have died. Already and presently, your life is hidden with Christ in God. These aren't things to come. These are a present reality. And then in verse four, you know, not yet has Christ appeared and you with him in glory. So in other words, as N.T. Wright says about this verse, the Christian hopes not merely for the coming of the Lord, but for the full revelation of what he or she already is. Down in verse 11, I think Paul takes it a step further. You know, uh, he says that the other ways that the world tries to find identity, uh, ways that are harmful and divide us, are irrelevant for the Christian. Look at verse 11. It says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So Paul here is referring to uh, groups that some of the Colossians may have found themselves in, that may have found their identity in. Um, He's making distinctions of race, religious background, uh, economic status, um, even using prejudicial descriptions of some of the groups, barbarians, Scythians, groups that higher classes would have looked down upon. And Paul is saying none of that matters in Christ. Um, These other earthly ways of finding an identity, you know, by the group you belong to, by financial success, um, those are irrelevant for the Christian. And in fact, these are ways that the world uses to tear others down and to prop themselves up. Uh, But those earthly identities, whether you're on top or on bottom, they're irrelevant for you in Christ. So instead of rooting our identity in what the world says about us, I think the instruction here is to root our identity in Christ. N.T. Wright, again, says that uh, doing this, rooting our identity in Christ, is the foundation of our Christian life, that the rest of it is built on. So the first reason that we should root our identity in Christ um, because that's the instruction that that Paul gives us here in in Colossians 3. Second, uh, I think we should root our identity in Christ because it leads to Christ-like actions. You know, if you want to be a better person, if you want to have more good fruit in your life, I think doing this, rooting your identity in Christ is the key. Dane Ortland, and I was told you have to quote Dane Ortland if you're going to preach at Shades, But Dane Ortland, in his book, Uh, How Does God Change Us? He says, Christian growth is bringing what you do and say and even feel into line with what, in fact, you already are. I'm going to say that again. Christian growth is bringing what you do and say and even feel into line with what, in fact, you already are. He goes on to say, only the gospel can change us 
because the gospel itself is telling us what is true of us before we ever begin to change, no matter how slowly our change comes. And even the world knows that your beliefs influence your actions. There are studies shown, showing that people are more likely to engage in healthy behaviors like eating well and exercising if they believe they can do those things. It's like, if you think you can work out, you're gonna work out. It's amazing how that works. Um, but I think our Christian growth is the same way. You know, Paul says in Romans 12 too, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think Paul is describing that, that same thing, that being transformed by renewing of your mind here. Uh, so look at verse five in, in Colossians three. It says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. It's a hard word to say. Which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So obviously Paul here is listing some of these uh, old self actions, these negative things that the, the Colossians were engaging in because they must have been doing some of these things. And I think this echoes what Paul told the Corinthians in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, which Jonathan preached about just a few weeks ago. You know, there in, in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In both of these places, Paul's answer to these bad behaviors is to remember who you are. Like Jonathan preached about a couple of weeks ago, remember who you are. You were a sinner. You previously walked in these earthly things. But now that's not true of who you really are because that person is dead, right? Instead, you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified by Christ. You don't have to do those things anymore because that's not really who you are anymore. And when you do those things, it doesn't negate the reality of who you are in Christ. You're just not acting in line with your true self. Uh, N.T. Wright, again, he says of, of this passage, he says, someone who truly understands who he or she is in Christ is further along the road to genuine holiness than someone who in confusion anxiously imagines that the new life is the result rather than the starting point of the daily battle with temptation. Look at verse nine and 10 again. He says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This new self that you have put on 
doesn't act in the same way as the old self. That's not you anymore. You know, I think Paul is saying here, you are, now be. So in addition to Paul just giving us the instruction uh, here to root our identity in Christ, I think we should root our identity in Christ because it leads to Christ-like actions. And uh, third, so rooting our identity in Christ results in peace. In verses 12 through 14, uh, which we won't go through in full this morning, Paul describes some of the virtues of the new self, ways that the new self acts, things like love and meekness and kindness and patience and forgiveness. In other words, Paul's reminding the Colossians of the heavenly ways that their new self really is. And the ultimate result of rooting our identity in Christ and living in agreement with who we really are is peace and gratitude and thankfulness. Look at verse 15. It says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I think we see here that the overflow from rooting our identity in Christ and living out of that identity is peace. It's thankfulness. It's unity with one another. Those are the things that are naturally going to come out. So rooting our identity in Christ leads to peace, um, something I think we could all use a bit more of, so I think we should root our identity in Christ. Uh, Hopefully, you agree that's good to root our identity in Christ, and there's a basis for it here in Colossians 3, but, you know, what now? How do we do that? I wish there was a simple answer, um, and maybe if I was better at preaching, I'd have five tips that rhyme about it, but... All I know to do is to meditate on the truth about what Christ says about us. You know, as Romans 10 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So with the last bit of time we have, I want to meditate on five verses that talk about who we are in Christ. And as we sit with these things, uh, I want to do something kind of awkward, but it wouldn't be a service at Shades without something awkward happening. So um, I want to stop as I read these things and just give us some space uh, to sit in silent reflection, to meditate on what these truths really mean, um, to stop and let the Holy Spirit uh, minister to our hearts and, and stir up the faith to believe that these things are true of us. Um, So here we go. Who are you? What is your identity in Christ? What is true about you? What does the Bible say are the truest things about who you are in Christ? 
I think first, uh, you are God's beloved son or daughter. I hear this truth about you from John 3. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. Can you believe that about yourself? That you are God's beloved child? I don't know what kind of father you had, but God is the kind and gentle and good type. Because of this adoption, because of the sonship, uh, the Bible says we can call him Abba, Father, not Sir, but Abba, Father, an intimate, kind name. He is gentle and lowly in heart. He's not a harsh taskmaster towards you. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's the most tender, least abrasive person you'll come across. You don't have to go through security to get to him. You don't have to raise your voice to make sure he hears you. In your smallness, he notices you. In your sinfulness, he draws near to you. In your anguish, he's in solidarity with you. He won't treat you harshly, so you can come to him. He's satisfied with you because you are his beloved child. Let's just sit in silence and think about what that means. You are united with Christ. You are joined with the Lord and one spirit with him. As the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17. You are united with him through your salvation, joined to Christ, one with him. Think about what that means about you. It means that he has made you fit to be unified with him. Do you think Christ, holy and perfect, would unite himself with something that he despised? Do you think Christ would unite himself with something offensive to him or something he could just barely tolerate? No, you're not a wart on Christ's backside. He wants to be united with you. The analogy that Paul uses in Ephesians is a, a husband and wife. And Paul says that he loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Do you think Christ will fail in that? No, Christ has made you fit to be united with him. So I don't care if someone's told you that you're garbage or that you're unlovable, or just something to be tolerated, that's not true about you. I don't care if you told yourself those things. That's not what Christ says about you. That's not what his union says about you. Hear the truth of who you are. Hear Christ say to you, I see no spot or blemish on you, my beloved. 
You are united with Christ. Let's meditate on that. You are hidden with Christ in God. As we read earlier, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. As preposterous as it would be for Christ to be cut off from God, and so it's the same way with you. I like the phrasing that's used here of being hidden with Christ in God because for me it evokes a sense of security. You're hidden in Christ through whom all things were made. Christ, who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Christ, who John describes as having eyes like a flame of fire and a voice like a roar of many waters. Because you are hidden with him, nothing can touch you that doesn't touch him. To get to you every pain, every assault, every disappointment, it has to go through him. You're shielded by his love. He fills your anguish more deeply than you do. No matter the circumstance, he doesn't run. He doesn't leave you there to face it alone. But he's with you in it, and he won't abandon you. So as large as the problems may loom in your life, uh, your union with Christ looms larger. Draw strength from the fact that you're not alone, that he'll never abandon you. Your suffering doesn't define you because you don't suffer alone. You're hidden with Christ in God. Let's think on that. You are the hands and feet of Christ. In Ephesians 2, it says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, you were made for good works, good works that God prepared beforehand for you. And you may feel inadequate, like you can't do some of those things, but God doesn't make inadequate things. He will provide and has provided everything you need to do the good works that he set out before you. You may feel lazy or uninspired. Shake off the rust. These things are part of your nature. You can do them. What a privilege and honor to be God's ambassador. Think about what that means of you. God trusts you to be his hands and feet. He trusts you to do his good works. He trusts you to be his minister. That, that's uh, pretty good. That's a pretty good position to have. 
It's amazing that the God of the universe trusts you to do those things. So have confidence that God trusts you and knows that you are capable of doing his good works. You are Christ's hands and feet. All right. And lastly, n- nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. As Romans 8 says, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what's true about you. Your identity in Christ is that you are forever loved. There's nothing more sure than that. There's nothing um, that will ever change about that. Everything else in your life will change, but that won't. Christ will never forsake you. In Romans 8.35, it says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Nothing that anyone has ever done to you or could ever do to you and nothing you could do to yourself can separate you from Christ's love. Believing that Christ's love is sure and never changing means believing that he won't stop loving you when you're sinned against. He won't stop loving you when you're sinning. Can you believe that about yourself? When we believe that he won't stop loving us, There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that can happen that can separate us from his love. The pain of sin can actually serve a purpose. I can use the pain I cause myself to wean myself off of the love of the world. I can let the pain of sin force me to believe the deeper true things that Christ says about me, that I'm not made to live in earthly ways, that they won't satisfy me, In other words, I can be honest about my sin because I know nothing can separate me from Christ, not even that sin. So let's stop and meditate about what that means and believe that that's true about us, that nothing could ever separate us from Christ's love. God, it's hard to believe 
some of these things that you say about us sometimes. Lord, help our unbelief. I pray that you would renew my mind to the truth of who I am in you, Jesus. Help me to bring into line um, the things I do with the, the truth of who I am in you, God, that I am a son, that I'm forever loved, that I'm protected and hidden in you, that I'm capable of doing the good works that you've set out for me, that nothing can separate me from your love. God, I want to believe those things. So Lord, help me. And God, help us all, Lord, to remind each other of these truths, to speak truth to one another when we're tempted to believe a lie that says we're not good enough, when we're tempted to believe a lie that um, we are inadequate, when we're tempted to believe a lie that we're not loved, God, I pray that we would go to one another and depend on our brothers and sisters in Christ to speak truth to us, the truth of who we are in you, so that your transforming grace uh, can lead us into peace and joy and thankfulness and gratitude. Lord, I thank you that our identity in you is not something that we create. It's not something that we maintain. It's given to us as a gift from you, and you do all the work to maintain it and to create it. Lord, thank you. We love you and thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Amen. in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen.